Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Hi, this is Windy, and before we start the podcast, I just wanted to give a very quick shout out to Aura Brewing. I think it's Aura, or it's O-R-A anyway, I've always said Aura. Um, They are a brewery based in Tottenham, and they have some really nice beers. And more importantly, if you're a Spurs season ticket holder and go there, your second pint is free. They are based between Northumberland Park Station and Tottenham Hale Tube. It's about a 15-minute walk from the stadium. The beers are great. They've sent me a couple of samples. I really, really enjoyed the limoncello. It was very good. Uh, Yeah, check them out. Great great brewery, great little company, and you're supporting a, a local company to Tottenham. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy and Spurs superfan, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, mate. Of course, what the people listening don't know is that originally you were the superfan they wanted. I was merely second choice. <laughs> uh, shout out to Richard Joyce um, for that new intro. Uh, that one might stick. I like it. Um, we're recording without Bardi because he's been at the Olympiacos game because he's not an armchair fan like us. Um, so what we're going to do is record a bit with Nathan and then a bit with Bardi tomorrow night. So Nathan and I have just watched the Olympiacos game. There's lots to talk about about that in particular, but there's just so much, so much content to to give the world. I feel at this point, Nathan, it's been a very strange week in the world of Spurs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think like I could just do a deep dive on tactics straight away, and I'm sure some people would like that. But just let's talk kind of um, more broadly first about the appointment of Jose Mourinho. Um, how are you feeling about it? You you come across as slightly negative about the um, appointment. In fact, that's uh, that's probably that's... not going far enough. You've, you've been very down. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was I was really negative at first, and I still definitely have um, massive reservations about this. Um, but I'm slightly more optimistic than I was. I sort of talked myself into it a little bit. And obviously, since then, we've had two wins, which uh, does help a little bit. Um, and I'm also, I think, in light of the way things ended with Pochettino, I think that that makes a really good case for simply accepting that, basically, 
managers can only ever last a couple of years or three years maybe and that therefore isn't something that you can count against Mourinho necessarily this is football now mate this is just what it's like and it's very difficult unless you're going to have a succession of managers who are very similar then Mm. then you're kind of stuck doing this you're kind of stuck flip-flopping between different styles and to be honest I don't think we can have a succession of managers who are very similar because I think what has this has shown is that we really did need a hard reset we needed something different we needed a different voice a different tone a different style and Mm. um for me I I'm really happy to be honest I didn't think I would be. I'm not a big Mourinho fan. I don't like his personality. I don't like him as a person. But he's a bloody good football manager. And I know that some people will say that's an outdated view. Personally, I think there's a lot of inverse snobbery around Mourinho. And I think to write him off um, is a a mistake. And, you know, he, he was working in a toxic environment at Man United. And yeah, of course, he created some of that toxicity. But I think most managers would have struggled in the environment he was working within and, and will struggle whilst the Glazers are there, basically. So you almost have to see that as an anomaly uh, across his career, in my opinion. Um, I OK, if you look at his title winning season with Chelsea, I felt that... Um, well, firstly, I incorrectly predicted that he would not win the league because of his style back then. And maybe, you know, obviously that's a point against me, but I still thought for a Premier League title winning size, they weren't that impressive. And I think that after we thrashed them at the turn of the year, they had to um, revert to a very reactive defensive style. Um, so I, I again, I, you know, I, I am at least trying to be open-minded to the idea that he is making tactical changes and that he's capable of making stylistic changes um but i definitely think it is is completely valid to say that the style that he's played um for the last you know five years is not one that is likely to be um highly rewarding anymore okay i i I think i think i see what you're saying there and I think it's also reasonable to say that his style is generally unattractive. I think that's a not not all. I'll, I'll defend him there because I think that that's definitely true. And especially for you know the highly marketed big games, he often disappoints there in terms of entertainment. But um, he, he's you know he's he's managed sides who have scored a lot of goals and counter attacks can be fun. Um, again, especially in those big games and moments like that, it, it's not that it's always miserable. It's just a slightly higher percentage than what you get elsewhere, basically. Um, and my argument would be that at this point, after a year of watching some of the ugliest football we've seen at Spurs for true, for, true. for a while, um, this is no certainly no worse and could be a lot better. And being a bit tighter at the back at this point is going to be a very useful thing. And I believe personally that we have so many good attacking talents in our squad that it won't be that it, it just can't be that ugly because we're too good for it to be that ugly um and I, I, that's probably a slightly hopeful opinion but i, I just genuinely think we'd, we've got too many good footballers to um to resort to ugly football um i am saving the clip now as i speak <laughs> and exporting and <laughs> the, the thing that bothers me slightly is that we've gone from having a really lovely warm cuddly manager to a manager yeah. who is very arrogant and makes it all about him but having said that he's been utterly lovely so far like that i i I'm not saying I'm going to fall for it and this is him now, um, but 
take it as a find. So far, he's been on a charm offensive and it's been very endearing. He said all the right things. He's kind of hugged players at the right time on camera. Um, he, he seems to have rejuvenated the squad in these two games to, to a degree through his cult of personality. And yeah, so far, so good in that respect. And he said he's changed. Do you believe he's changed? Um, I won't say like, uh, I believe him, but I am... I'm open to the idea. I'm not going to like shut it down and say, nope, he hasn't changed. Impossible. Um, and I'm certainly not like uh, gleefully going, well, that must be true. If he says it, it must be true <laughs> because like he's a serial liar. Um, although I'm, I'm actively trying, but I'm finding it fairly easy to believe him. Yeah, and, and, you know, he's given us reason to believe so far. It could all change, of course. I, I, I think the, yeah. the, the thing is, let's not have fixed opinions on this. Let's be adults who are open-minded, accepting of the fact that he might have changed and we'll just cross that bridge when it, when it comes to it. Um, there's so much to talk about tactically already, I feel. Um, and actually, to, to, the, the point that's interesting to me is that people are already talking about some of the tactical detail that he's implemented in, in a very short space of time. And then other people are reacting saying let's not talk about that it's a very minor change it's something Pochettino was doing for years and I'm like no there's there's analysts on television talking about tactics this is a good thing let's embrace it you know yeah yeah uh, I uh, that's probably just the willingness to talk about Mourinho as they would if he was at another club I don't think that's necessarily a, an uptake in in tactical conversation I, I get your point though I think that's you know that's fine so so the first game against West Ham saw some personnel changes and some tactical changes we had Ben Davison at left back we had Eric Dyer uh reinstalled as a holding midfielder we had Lucas playing on the right wing which we've always said why not Lucas in the right wing that's fine that's where we're happy enough with Lucas playing um what what what, what formation were we playing what do we do differently uh so we played a 4-2-3-1 sort of mostly uh the, I've already got uh, an issue with your comment which is that Dyer played in the holding midfielder I think most of the time he was ahead of Winks quite interestingly trying to be I guess that sort of uh encouraging uh, pressing, you know, a, a more of a bat to the high up the pitch. That was a slightly interesting and surprising tweak there to see Dyer as the more advanced of two midfielders, but not drastically. Uh, and we also saw uh, Davies tucking inside playing narrow, often like a wide centre-back to make a back three when we're in possession with Aurea pushing up like a wing-back on the right. Sun hugging the left touchline in his winger role and then uh, Delhi and Mora shuttling across to play in the channels um, that way. So sort of forming a temporary 3-4-3 um, three, three formation. And as you sort of alluded to earlier, yes, these are specifically with these player combinations as well, things that we have seen before under Pochettino. So he's not doing anything drastically new, but it was it was um, very clear to see uh, and, and well-executed and you know, there's some degree of tactical innovation when you when you uh, deploy that tactic, that temporary three four three. You are doing something quite modern, which is you are occupying the five vertical channels. And my biggest tactical criticism of Mourinho is that he doesn't have a structured plan for possession. He relies on player improvisation. And what we're seeing there, which again, we'd seen before under Pochettino, and even more specifically, we'd seen from Mourinho uh, at United and at Chelsea. Nonetheless, we have seen him lean in towards 
structured possession, which again is 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 the most important thing to see as an improvement from Mourinho. So nothing groundbreaking there, uh, and nothing that fixes in the idea that we've we're seeing uh, development tactically from Mourinho, but at least some positive suggestion in that in that direction. Absolutely, and, and nothing groundbreaking is the key. He'd only been there a hand, sure. handful of days sure. at that point. So what you wouldn't want is a manager trying to tear up the copybook and start again. That would be a huge mistake. So what he did and what I liked about it was he made very simple, straightforward, easy to follow, easy to digest changes, which our players could carry out very straight straightforwardly. And importantly, it got the best. It, it, it meant that our players were doing things that suited their characteristics. And Davis is the best example of that. What Davis is very good at is firstly defending sensibly in a kind of deeper role, not having to rely on athleticism, but also feeding low passes Mm. into players in advanced positions. Davis is a very underrated passer. He's always been very good at his distribution side of his game, uh, but Mourinho really got the best out of him there. And I thought Davis was one of our best players against West Ham. And it was a real pity that he got that injury late on. I hope it's just kind of a knock. He obviously is still being, um, they're, they're still trying to <clears throat> determine how serious that injury is at the moment. So we don't know, but that, that was a pity because he played really, really well. But you could say the same about Lucas. He was playing, as you say, as an inside uh, right winger. But that gave him lots of um, opportunities to run forward with the ball, which suits him. And I thought he did a good job too. And really importantly, Kane and Delhi were given, in my opinion, probably their best roles, their most suited roles. Kane as a lone centre forward who ran, ran all over the place against West Ham and did a great job of holding the ball up and competing. And Delhi was in that kind of pocket of space, somewhere between an 8.5 and a number 10, just allowed to roam, pick up the ball, suck defenders in, play little passes. He was... He was in fine fettle and hopefully that is a sign of things to come from Delhi because although I don't think he's been anywhere near as bad as people have made out, he's definitely taken a little bit of a dip. Definitely taken a little bit of a dip. Yeah, no, Delhi is definitely one that I've got wrong in recent weeks because I've been saying, look, he's only been back a few weeks. He's been out injured. He's only, you know, just now returning to playing as a number 10. He's played four league games. He's scored two goals. You know, what more do you want? Why Why is Delhi picking up so much criticism? I couldn't understand it. And then I watched the West Ham game and thought oh wait no okay that's Mm. the standard that he is uh, that we're holding him to and that makes sense yeah I I totally agree with that and I think perhaps we've been a little bit overly defensive because what we accept is that Delhi's been moved around a lot he's had to play multiple roles it's not been easy for him he's picked up a lot of midfield work in the last few months of Pochettino and he's, he's his overall game has suffered he's I think he's I feel like he's grown as a as a player as a result of it and and he'll be better now now he's back in his kind of more favored number 10 number whatever position <clears throat> but it's been it's been tricky for him it really has been tricky for him so tonight we've played Olympiakos and we've made subtle changes again we didn't have Davis so we played Danny Rose how did you feel that impacted our formation uh, well, I, I was interested to see if that we would carry on with that sort of temporary back three from the left fullback again with Rose there instead of Davies, you know, who, who you might imagine is um, less likely to play that role. But we we did again carry on with that um, that sort of tactical idea and setup. I think probably less so in the second half. We might have slightly moved away from it or we were just getting forward so much it was um, less clear mm. to see. Uh, he didn't have the best game, Rose, did he? No, he doesn't seem a natural fit for that position. He's not a natural defender. 
it doesn't I mean Rose's main characteristic is his athleticism and his tenacity and, and that role restricts both of those things so I don't think that's a good long-term fit um the the idea that's been mooted is that perhaps if we're going to do that then we play a kind of a more defensive right back you can tuck in someone like Foyth and we basically do the same thing, but with right back rather than left back. And I think I think that could work potentially. Yeah. Uh, so we have a question uh, about sort of Foyth and Sessegnon, don't we, for Davies and Aurea. And he's not the only person to ask this. Um, I think that this is um, sort of a keen idea passing around at the moment. Um, and I mean, mainly my hope there is that we is that there is still a, at least a chance uh, for Sessegnon to play left back under Mourinho. Um, because I thought I thought Sessegnon and Pochettino was a, such a, a brilliant combination, a, a coach and player talent combination that there was so much promise there. Um, it will be a real shame for um, there to be no fruition in, in terms of him moving back to left back where I think he could really shine. Um, but again, let's try and be optimistic about that. I, yeah, I do think that the the sort of the opposites way round with Foyth playing the defensive right back and Sessegnon playing as the attacking left wing back um there's you know that's quite an exciting idea I will also say that like um I don't expect us to play this that that tactic again and again and again with the 4-2-3-1 into 3-4-3 I think that that is um just sort of an interesting little idea to get us started I don't think that's going to be like our base go-to uh shape plan for the rest of the season I agree, although Mourinho does have form for playing one attack-minded fullback and one more defensive fullback. True. And I think that's just just a numbers thing. He prefers to have numbers behind the ball. Um, And he likes to have defenders defending. uh, A very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, I I think the only issue with it being the other way around is that we know Son is so good if he's out on the left and has space to attack. And if you're having Lucas as the one who's kind of hanging out wide and Son's playing as the inside forward, I think you lose something personally. Um, in terms of Sessegnon, he, he could play that Son role, I think, hanging out wide and okay, waiting yeah. the ball and, and beating yeah. his man. So if Son needs a rest, then Sessegnon could step in there. I think Just do it that way. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think Sessegnon also could play the kind of more reserved role, but you just don't make use of his talents. That's the, that's the downside mm. of that. So... That's a, that's a problem for Mourinho to work out, I think. Um, Aurier was really good against Olympiacos. Uh, and actually, he had a really good game against West Ham as well. So that's a win for Mourinho so far? I uh, don't know who you're talking about, mate. It doesn't ring a bell, I'm afraid. <laughs> You've given up on Aurier. Uh, well, no, because like obviously look at the two performances he's put in under the new manager. I don't know. I, I, I had completely written him off. I, I thought... You know, look at the quality of coach he's playing under. Uh, look at the physical and technical talents that he has at his disposal. Um, the fact that he's performing terribly is a clear sign that he just is not mentally switched on enough to play football at a high level. Mm. Um, and now we've seen, yeah, we've seen two good performances, which is again is too early for me to like completely retract what I was saying before. But I, uh, yeah, uh, continuing that open mindedness. Uh, maybe there is a footballer inside there after all. And I, I think what I'm about to say is incredibly patronising, but actually <laughs> um, 
the point you've just made about Aurier not being mentally switched on enough. Mourinho's kind of removed one element of the game for him. He's kind of sure. he's made it more simple, which, to be honest, is is how Pochettino got the most out of Musa Sissoko. Um, yeah. You, you make life easy by taking away one duty. Give them something different to focus on. And Aurier's focus is you stand high and wide, you wait for the ball to come to you, you try and work a bit of space, and you put an early cross in, or you have a bit of link play with Lucas. And that's working really well for Aurier at the moment. And, you know, long may that continue, because we don't have a whole bunch of other options at right back, particularly with Walker Peters having barely played over the last six months. Um, So that's a good thing. The, the concern for me is that I really wanted a pair of new fullbacks. We're now going to be approaching January in, what, five weeks? And my concern is we won't sign new fullbacks. Um. Does that bother you? I mean, even if Aurea is, you know, a a cromulent fullback mm. now, that doesn't like leave us in a healthy place at right back. Like he has to try out Walker Peters or, or at least try him out in training and get a feel for him himself. I wonder if you're optimistic on that point. And um, you know, maybe see what how he feels about Foyt in that role. Um, but likely we do still need some improvement at right back, even if Aurea um proves himself worthy of something. And yeah, and, and left back generally is, you know, not dissimilar. Yes, if if there's a good role that Davies specifically can play and he can put in decent performances, that doesn't make us strong at left back. So those holes haven't suddenly disappeared. Um, and, and and nor is there like a good cover enough to pretend that they've disappeared. Mm, mm. I'm interested, um, once Vertonghen's fully fit, whether he might step into the left back berth with if if Davis was out for any length of time, because I feel like that yeah. kind of left side defensive fullback role, Yang could do that even with his um, declining physical state. Um, so I'd be interested to see that. In terms of Walker Peters, he was on the bench for Mourinho's first game, but not yes. for the second, and that was presumably because Ndombele was fit again, and Vertonghen as well, and Sessegnon came onto the bench too. So I guess he he was probably more concerned about issues. At uh, left back than right back. I mean, Walker Peters could play the role that Aurier played against West Ham and against Olympiacos, I'm sure. And actually, removing one of his duties would probably be a good thing to, in terms of bedding in a young player. But sure. um, yeah, you can't argue with Aurier's performances so far, to be honest. A um, couple of other points I want to cover uh, before um, before we call it a day and uh, move on to Bardi's section. Uh, firstly, it's really refreshing to see substitutions happening early. I know it's become a it became a cliche with Pochettino at the helm. Uh, but he wouldn't half hinder himself with his stubbornness. And Mourinho basically won us the game tonight with his match-changing substitutions, including bringing on Eriksen, who wouldn't have been a lot of people's first choice sub, but seems <laughs> really good again. And then also bringing it's on magic. Sissoko. It's a miracle. Yeah. He's healed. Hooray! <laughs> what is that? Is that is that um, is that just new manager bounce? No, I. So <laughs> my imagination running wild here is is that um, Eriksen just simply had enough of Pochino, didn't want to play under Pochino anymore, um, turned in terrible or non-existent performances, ready for Pochino to be sacked, new manager is in, hooray, I'm good again. Um, I hope that's not the case. Um... <laughs> what else could it be, man? Like, why is he suddenly changing the game, having just been crap for like the last... since the window closed as well? Like, he was good against Villa and Newcastle, um, and then the window closed, and suddenly he became a terrible footballer exactly until a new manager came in. I mean, what is that if it's not and falling out of Pochino? He's been in a funk for a long old time, hasn't he, and struggled to get himself out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult to disagree. 
but I'm willing to sort of not throw Ericsson fully under the bus because. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. Sorry, I'm not blaming him or or Alderweireld or Vertonghen if if or anyone else who or felt similarly or was acting similarly because like if a whole bunch of people have had enough of another person, right? That's not all of them individually, is it? In most cases, like what we said at the beginning, is that simply you know managers have a. Uh, an emotional expiry date with their players. And mm. that's, that's not even Pochettino's fault either. I think, I suspect that the only way to both motivate and gain authority over a bunch of high-level football players is to behave in a way that will later become aggravating. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a few years down the line. And that's that's just the job. That's just the game. I, I completely agree. It's just that the chemistry that was once there is was no longer there. And that is no... Like you've just said, it's not Pochettino's fault. It's no one's fault. It just happened. And we accept it. We move on. And if there is some new chemistry between Ericsson and Mourinho and... Alvarado and Mourinho and every other player in the squad and Mourinho and they sign contracts then great I mean, I've got no doubt I mean Ericsson is not a bad footballer anyone who tells you that Ericsson is a bad footballer now <laughs> is an idiot quite frankly and you shouldn't listen to their opinion on football he is a world class player he's one of our best players and getting the best out of Christian Eriksen is going to mean that we've got a world-class player back in our team. So, of course, that should be a focus of Mourinho. But equally, if Eriksen is absolutely set on leaving at the end of the season, then I'm a bit like, let's try someone else still. But Mourinho hasn't worked it out yet. He's, he's got some work to do. Yeah. My point was more that these early substitutions really had a rejuvenating effect. I think it was great. Uh, Dyer took being taken off really well. I was very pleasantly surprised by his reaction. He kind of he saw that it was for the greater good. There was no complaints. That was very professional of Dyer, I thought, because a lot of players would have been very unhappy. Yeah. And then bringing on Sissoko and switching to a four four two worked perfectly as well. Sissoko individually wasn't great. He made quite a few errors on the pitch, but just the fact that he was there, he was very he was getting around the pitch really well. He's a very experienced player. He'll talk to other players uh, they they listen to him he's kind of got some leadership qualities that was a, a good move as well and they they, they worked out well um, so I was very pleased by that the other thing is that Winks is on set pieces now yeah that's strange that really took me by surprise did you have any inkling that this might be a thing uh, I think he has taken one or two before for Spurs like ever in cup games with mixed squads so um, I think there was a very slight inkling mm. but I would have put him like fifth or sixth or something on the list in the squad so same and I have a theory so my theory on Winks being on set piece duty is that Mourinho is trying to increase his kind of standing and authority within the squad try and bring him out of his shell even more because he knows that Winks has got another gear to go into in a, in a way we've seen it for England we've seen Winks be a really big player for England and when Winks isn't there we, we're not as good actually he he makes England better than the sum of their parts in, this, in a strange way definitely um, and, and Mourinho spotted this and realised that Winks can go up a level for Spurs he's been underperforming for a while and giving him free kick duties and responsibility means that he's the guy like I'm I'm running over there I'm getting the ball I'm taking free kicks and corners despite the fact that there are players on the pitch who are bigger stars than me probably seen as better crosses than me but my manager has faith in me to do that job and I'd say his set pieces have been pretty mixed so far a bit of a mixed bag some have been really good some have been really average he literally didn't beat the first man who stood 10 yards away from him <laughs> a couple of times against West Ham um but like it's a new thing for him so that will take some time that will yeah he give him give him a go I say give him a few games of this and see what happens um but really really intrigued by that slight um oddity as well 
Um, is there anything else you want to talk about tactically before we move on, Nate? Uh, well, on Winks, like um, I've been saying for like consecutive weeks that Winks is a clearly a good player, but just one who is ill-suited to Pochettino's highly physical style. And I think that Mourinho puts much less physical demand on his players, but especially his central midfielders. So um, I think that people were writing Winks off as soon as Mourinho was, was hired, saying, oh, you know, he doesn't, this isn't the type of number six he's after. Um, but I think that we will, um, I, I think that there's reasons why he can really flourish um, you know, with less physical demands on him. Um, yeah. But in- interestingly, I thought Winks had a pretty poor first half with Dyer on the pitch. Oh, tonight. terrible, dude. Yeah. Uh, but second half with Ericsson, I thought he was really good. I thought I actually thought Winks was one of our best players in the second half. He was pretty much everywhere. Uh, very busy, very combative, winning little balls uh, and, and actually playing some nice early vertical passes. So I don't know what happened there. <laughs> that was really odd to me that when he was alongside a kind of ball winner, he wasn't as effective. So Ericsson coming on meant that we moved the ball a lot better. We yeah. got the ball forward and we moved as a, a team further up the pitch, which I think suits him. Um, essentially, rather than Winks having to defend open spaces because the ball is rattling around a lot more and he mm. completely misses his tackle for the opening goal. Oh, yeah, that um, was bad. But, yeah, and, but and it was bad, but it was a nice bit of skill as well. Sometimes you have to sort of appreciate the skill of the opposition player. But yeah, Winks sold himself totally. Um, yeah, so lots of intrigue, lots more to talk about. I, I guess we just keep an eye on things tactically over the next few weeks uh, and see what the patterns are. Because at the moment, it's too early to say this is how we're going to play. Um, but I'm quietly, I'm, I'm encouraged so far by what I've seen. How Are you feeling OK, like on the tactical front so far? So far. So far. OK, cheers, Nate. It was good to speak to you. And uh, now I'll catch up with Bardi. half of the extra inch and i'm with my psychic and best friend bardi hello bardi hello windy how you doing i'm very well thanks mate you were at the game the olympiacos match uh firstly how was the how was the atmosphere how was the reaction to our new manager well it was a bit of a strange atmosphere because these tickets went on sale a long time ago so i think the crowd was very different i mean i nobody on my row four seats either side of me turned up 
and the row behind me was completely different. So it was a lot of people who had um, had not bothered coming. And I don't think that was a reaction to the Pochettino sacking. That was just general stance of where Tottenham were at the time when these tickets went on sale. So the crowd was mixed. So I think we're going to have to wait until Saturday to get a real kind of reception of um, of Mourinho and everything else. But from what I saw in the marketplace area and from out and around the ground, there was quite a lot of positivity towards him, to be honest. Okay, that I'm quite surprised by that. I, I saw um, a Pochettino flag. Did you catch that? Uh, I heard about it. That was down on the um, the west stand. I think I heard about it. I couldn't see where I, I couldn't see it where I was. I mean, I personally I don't agree with it. I think it's time to move on. He's gone now. It's kind of the same thing. Like, um, why would you still put Bale flags up or Modric flags up? You know, it, it's happened. We need to move on as a club, as a fan base, and as a team. And maybe that's what we're starting to see now. But it's definitely time to shake it off and move forward. You've moved on pretty quickly. I'd say quicker than most. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, it's no, I can't deny that I was a little bit potched out. We'd kind of been not even treading water. Our head had been kind of dipping under the surface for a while. And I just, I think we needed a, a massive change. And the only change that we could do right now is is the manager. So I was always, I want a manager to win football matches. And we've now won two in a row with Mourinho, which feels like I can't remember the last time Pochettino done that. It's really refreshing to be winning again. And I think you've said it before that winning football matches basically changes everything around the club. It's it's as simple as that, isn't it, in, in modern football? 100%. You've, you've got to win games and we weren't winning enough of them. And that's what cost Pochettino the job. It wasn't, it wasn't the contract expiries. It wasn't the bad recruitment. It was he didn't win games and Mourinho has won two games. So long live Mourinho for the moment. <laughs> You've been doing some research on him, and I think you—I think you'd like coincidentally listened to something about him just before he was appointed. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I—I love the Golazzo pod on um, part of the Totally Football Show kind of canon or extended universe, whatever you want to call it. But um, it just happened to be on the same week that Mourinho was appointed. I was listening to the podcast on their treble, and uh, as I was listening, this is Inter's treble, right? Yeah, Inter's treble. uh, No one in Italy's ever done it before, and there was a lot as I was listening to it that I'd forgotten about and there was some really good stuff that um, I'd forgotten about. Everyone seems to remember the night in um, the new Camp where he had 10 men up against Barcelona's incredible um, team and the way they got through the way they got through by literally parking the bus but everyone seems to forget that they they pumped Barcelona 3-1 at the San Siro in the first leg. So um, it did remind me of how he was able to get the most out of players like Maicon how um, he has a history of like getting the best out of number 10s from Deco, Schneider, um, these kind of guys. And perhaps perhaps Spurs, are, Spurs are ready for that kind of man to come in and be very of the moment. And instead of being a kind of project builder, come in, take this set of highly talented players. You know, this is, this is a, a fantastic set of players and just push them for a year, two years and um, see what we can get out of them. That's actually a really perceptive point that I just hadn't thought of at all. That you know we've we've been saying for ages that the team is aging now. It's got to a point where most of the players are kind of twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. They're at a point where they are they can't be considered young players anymore. They are experienced pros. They should be looking to start win, winning stuff. So in a sense, someone like Mourinho, he's not going to be focused on developing young players and and doing things with um, signing new players and, and and bringing them through. Maybe that's that kind of style of manager was the right appointment anyway in terms of getting 
getting the best out of the squad at the club already. I mean, one hundred percent. If you look at if you look at it, take, let's take Inter for example. Um, his back four was made up of players in their early thirties: Samuel, um, Lucio, Maicon, Zanetti, and then he had a midfield of um, Thiago Motta, um, Stankovic, Schneider, Etu, uh, Milito. These, these uh, Pandev he signed, I mean, he had ball at Balotelli, but Balotelli refused to run backwards. So he went out and signed Pandev, who was like 31 years old. And his team was old, but he, he got a song out of them. He won two league titles and he, he won the Champions League with them. And I, I think, to be honest with you, the players we have at Spurs are better than that team. And it's just, if, if he can just fix one or two things, get the belief... Get the uh, get them playing and pressing and cut out the defensive mishaps. Then we have got a fantastic football team here. I think the age thing won't appeal to Daniel Levy so much. But if you're placing less kind of physical demands on your players, then you can certainly go with older pros for for a little longer. Mm. And and perhaps then we can squeeze some extra value out of players we're either struggling to sell, like for example Rose, maybe even Wanyama, um, and, <laughs> and, and and then maybe sell them a bit later on down the yeah. line if 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 uh, Mourinho can get something out of them. I mean, I I haven't seen the numbers, but from just witnessing Tottenham yesterday, they they ran an awful lot and they pressed an awful lot, and um, yeah, they just looked full of vigor, and I th- I think had. Um, had a player like Son, had he had a better game, I thought he was. I thought he was awful, to be honest with you. Had he had a better game, we would have smashed Olympiakos out of sight. So let's talk about the Olympiakos game. Did anything um, catch your eye tactically from sitting in the stands? Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a nervy and it was a, a slow start. We weren't very compact. There was big gaps, and they were able to expose Winks and Dyer quite often. Um, but then it seemed as soon as he shifted, I mean, we were, we had the ball a lot, but we just weren't able to do anything. And then as soon as he took Dyer off, Ericsson, even though he had a bit of a shaky start, was was able to link the play a lot better. Um, tactically wise, um, I liked how I liked Delhi's positioning. It was very much reminiscent of our last season of White Hart Lane, Delhi, where he was always in positions where he, he can hurt the opposition. And I thought, um, even though he was kind of partly responsible for their second goal, I thought I thought he was excellent again. And what was the uh, crowd's reaction to Ericsson like? Because uh, there's been a mixed reaction on social media to Ericsson over the last few weeks. Some people just want him out of the club now. It it was very mixed. It was very mixed um, throughout the and especially his first few touches were which went were a little bit wayward. There was there was audible groans and you could he would have been able to hear the um, the opinion of that the crowd had of him. It, but the, the weird thing was there was quite a bit of a response when um, he brought on Sissoko. I think he took off Lucas, who had been having a good game. And when he put on Sissoko, there was also a, a general kind of buzz of questioning that, that substitution. But in the end, it, it worked out. It worked out. To, it benefited us. Yeah, and I, I said to Nathan that I, I feel like Munio won us that game with his changes, basically. And it's been a while since I felt like um, our manager made a kind of... Um, very what's the word bold substitution that has yeah. changed changed the nature of a match. Uh, it was really pleasing to see that. Uh, you know, he, he if he's if he's one thing, he's bold. He's prepared to put his money where his mouth is. He's prepared to do the things that he thinks is right, regardless of the impact. But I thought he handled the Eric Dyer situation really well. Um, when we recorded the first half of the podcast yesterday. Nathan and I spoke about Dyer and I commented that I thought Dyer had dealt with that situation impressively, kind of putting the team first. Mourinho also handled it really well by straight away in front of the cameras. He was like, first thing I want to 
say is sorry to Eric Dyer. He explained the situation. He said that Dyer was a professional, a very intelligent man, that he saw that it was for the benefit of the team. I like that from Mourinho. I thought that showed quite a lot of care for the player, which was important. Yeah, I, I think perhaps he's learned that he can't keep burning his players like he did quite often with Shaw and, and Pogba, that he does need he does need to look after him. I mean, I can't remember a, a, a version of Mourinho where he did, I mean, apart from Casillas at Real Madrid, where he really did kind of burn bridges with footballers like he did at Man United. So perhaps perhaps he's learned there. Uh, and um, it, it, was, it was quite interesting to watch him throughout the match. He... Um, he wasn't. He wasn't as animated as as I expected, but he was a presence, and you could see him. And when things weren't going right, he he was talking to the players, and he's doing all the right things. I know people will think, ah, oh, he's just playing the game, but Pochettino wasn't playing the game towards the end. He was saying the wrong things. He was responding badly to questions. He wasn't giving straight answers. When now all of a sudden we got Mourinho, who is who is given the, the correct answers that we need. And, and why would we not give him a chance to, to do things the right way? It, it would just, it, it seems wrong and like we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot in a way to just not give him hmm. an opportunity. Give him a few months, see what happens. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about Aurier, but I'll do that through a question from Mohamed Surti, who mm-hmm. said, how to solve a problem like Serge? Well, hmm. has... Mourinho already kind of started to solve that problem? I mean, it, it's quite amazing. There was a few times in the second half, especially where they, they crossed it to the far post and he was rushing towards the player. And I thought old Serge or Pochettino Serge would have just dangled out a leg and wiped out the, the forward. But he didn't. He stood up he, and he won the ball and he was excellent. He was excellent in the first half, excellent in the second half. He took his goal magnificently. I was right in the line of it. And the swaz that came off his boot, it, it was brilliant. And um, he combined, he always has combined quite well with Sissoko. And he, he, worked the, he worked the line really well with Sissoko and with um, Lucas before that. I would also like to, um, a little point towards Sanchez, who I thought has had two really good games under Mourinho. He had been looking a bit shaky and making errors, but under these last two games, he's played well. And it's been Alderweireld who's looked a little bit more shaky alongside him. Uh, I thought, yeah, I thought Sanchez had another good game. I thought Alderweireld was fairly good as well. Um, just going back to Aurier briefly, mm. uh, did you see the celebration where he's reported to have spat at our fans? I mean, he did spit at our fans. We've, we've seen the footage. Uh, I've seen I've seen people talk about it where he, apparently he was in the process of spitting and then Winks jumped on his back and it gave the the, <laughs> the spit a trajectory which was uh, uncalled for. That's a very generous reading. It was a very strange thing for Aurier to do. I don't know what went through his mind, if anything. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, oddball he, to say the least. A goal and two assists is that in his last two games? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see that coming. If I'm honest, I, of all the players that I thought um, Mourinho might do something with, he would have been a long way down my list. I didn't even necessarily think he would get games. So to see this, it's, it's very pleasing. If we can get get our money worth out of Aurier then fantastic I mean his um, his physical attributes and the style of fullback he is has never been in doubt it's always been his um, his ability to make bad decisions that's always been, it's, it, well it's his his constant bad decisions that's got, got him in trouble but if he gets rid of that I think he's still reasonably young you never know he could this could be him turning the corner but he's went he's gone through a lot of corners now yeah absolutely and finally have you seen any um tactical innovation that interests you so far no I've, nothing really than um what everyone sees sees when they drop into a free i thought um danny rose did a kind of guy of southgate carl walker role there on on um on tuesday 
And he was reasonably good. He, I don't think I'd quite trust him as much as Davies in that role. But I think now um, Davies seems to be out for quite a long time. It's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see how Mourinho solves that problem. Does he put in Vertonghen or does he um, trust Sessignon or continue with Rose? Yeah, and I, I suppose the nice thing there is that he has got stylistically different options to mm. do with what he pleases. So that's that's a good thing. I mean, in a way, under Pochettino, you kind of wanted us to have two similar fullbacks to rotate. With Mourinho, it's probably quite useful to have two different types of fullback because yeah. he will try different things against different teams. Yeah, I mean, you could easily um, put in Foyf at right back if you have to restorier and then try Rose uh, sitting on as a, as a flying fullback. Um, it's a shame Nathan's not here because I would like to speak to Nathan about where he thinks Endombele might fit into this team because I, I I don't I don't know I don't see where he's going to play him but he he kind of has to at some point yeah well that's one to ponder for the next episode we'll leave it there thanks buddy thank you you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production thanks to Bardi for being Italian thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork thanks to David Lindner for our intro music you can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and SoundCloud D Lindner do check him out he's great, great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Give them a gift they'll never forget because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age. Like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. Because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Code GRATEFULAG23. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.